<clears throat> there are some things in life that you just do, that you learned, and no one had to teach you <clears throat> how to do this thing. Um, I'm sorry, guys, my voice is struggling. Maybe uh, one of these things is nobody had to teach you how to be angry when you didn't get your way. My son Noah turns one on Wednesday, and um, yeah, I never taught him how to pitch a fit. I never taught him how to freak out, <laughs> but when he doesn't get his way, he does. He does that. Last weekend with the Narrow, we were going to our train retreat, so I had Noah in the car with me with like four or five other junior high boys, and they were playing with him in the back seat. You know, they had like their rubber band bracelets, and they were dangling these things in front of him, just making him laugh. And I said, guys, do not let him grab your bracelet. Because if he, if he grabs it, and then you try to take it back, this is not going to be an enjoyable car ride. I, I promise you that. And of course, this, this, one, this one kid named Connor... Uh, I love Connor, but Connor let him grab his bracelet. And I heard all of the kids in the backseat go, oh. and Connor, sure enough, grabbed that bracelet, took it out of Noah's hands, and we had about 45 minutes left in that car ride, and it wasn't good. He pitched a fit. He cried the whole way. It was not enjoyable. He even tried to give it back, but Noah was like, dude, the damage has already been done. Like, <laughs> I'm going to cry, and this is all your fault. So, Nobody had to teach you how to pitch a fit when he didn't get your way. Nobody had to teach you how to say no. Nobody had to teach you how to lie. Thankfully, Noah hasn't done that yet because he can't really speak. <laughs> um, but at some point in time, I guess he's going to lie. And I, I don't know if I'm prepared for that, but it's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> nobody had to teach you how to, how to hide when you did something wrong. Nobody had to teach you how to, how to steal. You guys ever stolen something when you were little? You got a story? Yeah, I've got a story. I stole something out of the treasure box in kindergarten. <laughs> nobody taught me how to do that. I saw something in that box that I thought was cool, and I was like, yep, I'm taking that. And I took it. And Nobody had to teach you how to get revenge. We just have this, this thing about us as humans where when somebody does something wrong to us, when somebody hurts your feelings or physically hurts you or does something like that, you just, a, 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 a switch is flipped and you just know that you want to do something to get them back. It just happens. Unless you're not normal. Well, Paul... He writes about revenge at the end of Romans chapter 12. He's kind of already talked about it a little bit, but he goes into more detail at the end of this chapter. And he talks about how Christians should handle themselves when they want revenge. So Romans 12, we're going to finish this chapter, verses 19 through 21. It says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So he echoes what he already said in verse 17. In verse 17, he says, he says repay no one evil for evil. Never seek revenge. Never seek to avenge yourself against someone who has done something wrong or harmful to you. And we talked about this last week, that you should be praying for your enemies and, and seeking to do good to your enemies. And now you are not to take revenge against your enemies. Paul adds this step to it. Pray for them and, and leave revenge, leave the feeling that you have about wanting to get them back, leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it to God's wrath. God's wrath is much different than my wrath and your wrath. His anger is way different than mine and yours. His anger is not an impulsive outburst directed at people that he doesn't like. Directed at people who did something harmful or wrong towards him. His vengeance flows, I'm sorry, his vengeance never flows from wrong motives. It's for those who have rejected him and who have rebelled against him. It's, it's calculated and it's a controlled response against those who rebel against him. And if revenge is sought from human wrath, you've probably been there, it's not good. It never ends well. It always ends up with a messy situation. You do something that you regret. You say something that you regret. It's not pretty. People get hurt when you act on your human revenge and your human anger and your human outburst. Paul, he, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. God says, vengeance is mine in recompense. He says, vengeance is mine. So the truth is, you and I, we don't have the right to seek revenge. It's not our right. It's not up to you. Because you are not God. And neither am I. God says, leave it to me. Vengeance is mine. And when you take things into your own hands, you're taking something that belongs to him. And he says, leave it to me. It does not belong to you. It's, it's entitled of you and me to think that, that you can go around and you can give people what they deserve as if you're the judge, as if you're the one who gets to decide what people deserve and when they deserve it and when it's gone too far and what you should do. You don't know what they deserve. It's not up to you and it's not up to me. It's up to God. Repaying the wickedness of men is not your job. It's God's job. So when you're hurt by someone, when someone does something to you, and you feel that longing to get them back, you need to trust that God's word is true. You need to trust that God will 
avenge you according to his perfect timing and his perfect will. It is not your job to seek revenge. God is sovereign. You've heard that statement before. You've probably talked about it. You probably would say that you agree with that statement, I hope, that God is sovereign. It's said all the time in conversation. It's said all the time in church. But do you believe that? Not just factual, on paper, do you believe it? But do you live like God is sovereign? Do you live as if he is totally in control? Someone who really does trust in God's sovereignty, someone who really does trust in his sovereign control of all things, will not seek revenge. Deuteronomy 32, you should write that chapter down and read it, but we're going to look at a few verses of it, from it. God says, I am he. There is no other God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. That's what God is saying. God holds life and death in his hands. God wounds. God heals. Whatever God puts his hand forward to do will be accomplished. And no one and nothing can stop God's plan. Deuteronomy 32 also says, If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. He says, I'll do it. I will repay. That's my job as God. God's hand holds on to justice. God is concerned with justice because he is perfectly just. Justice will be served against the adversaries of God. You have to trust that. You have to trust that that's true. It says he will render vengeance on his adversaries, and he will atone for his land and his people. Again, the same thing. God will avenge your enemies for you. Revenge is up to God, not up to you and me. So God is sovereign. God is in control. He has all things in control of his hands. So listen, those that have hurt you, they have done so within the sovereign control and providence of God. When someone hurts you, it's not because God lost control for a second and Satan was able to capitalize on his loss of control and then, bam, you got hurt. It happened within his sovereignty. He allowed it to come to pass. And then within that, he says, yeah, I allowed it to happen. And guess what? Revenge is not up to you. It's up to me. So God is just saying, trust me. Just trust me. You don't need to defend yourself. 
Because you have God Almighty defending you. God Almighty, the Creator God, He is defending you. So when you step in to defend yourself, that's not the right thing to do. Whenever you're upset and you have this tunnel vision of all I want to do is get this person back, you're stepping in the way of something that God is going to do. And when you think about it that way, I would rather not get in God's way. I'd rather let God do what he's going to do. So we have to remember this promise. We have to trust in this promise. His promise to his people is, I will repay. So rather than taking the situation into your own hands, rather than losing control of yourself and seeking after revenge, just stop and remember and trust that it is God's job to repay evil and it's not your job. I'm sure that you've held a grudge before. Honestly, just think about it. How does it feel holding on to hatred or anger or bitterness against someone? It's not a good feeling. In fact, it it can be exhausting. It, It can be exhausting to always look at someone and then remember, oh yeah, I hate that person. Oh yeah, I don't want to talk to you. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get you back. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. It can get exhausting. It can get tiring. And, and doesn't it feel terrible that someone, that another person can have this power over you? It's not a good feeling, and God doesn't like that. That's not what God wants for his people. Because you're not thinking clearly when you're angry. You're not thinking clearly whenever you are seeking revenge. You're not being sober-minded like his word says to do. And look, I know, I know how hard this is. This is not easy. There's a reason why he says this at the end of his thoughts about living this transformed life. Because again, the only way that you're going to be able to think this way and do this way is if your mind is transformed by the power of the gospel. Because again, what does the world say? The world says, go get your revenge. Somebody hit you, hit them back. God says, no. Leave it up to me. When I was younger, probably 12, 13, I don't don't know. I I just remember trying really hard to do the right thing. I I was just trying to to live in the right way. To do the right thing. To treat people well. Just to be nice to people. I I don't think I was saved yet, but I was trying to just do the right thing. But life was just difficult. It was just difficult. Like people, people at my school weren't, weren't nice to me. I didn't have that many friends at the time. I was, I was struggling in school. Like it, just, it just wasn't a good time for me. And when I looked at others who weren't trying to do the right thing, who, who were actively doing the wrong thing, those that were not treating people with kindness and cheating on their homework and other things, life seemed so much better for them. And so I was left thinking, what what am I doing? If life is so much better for them, then why shouldn't I just be like them and my life will get easier? I remember thinking, it's just not fair. I remember like hating people because of this, having hatred and bitterness towards people because of the situation that I found myself in. 
So look, I, I, know, I know that it's hard to look at your situation and to think this isn't right, this isn't just, I've got to do something about it. But God says, even in those situations, in situations that are far worse, do not take matters into your own hands. Do not seek after revenge. Don't be concerned with justice and giving people what they deserve because that is God's job. And he promises that one day justice will be served. First Peter chapter 2. Verses 22 and 23, it says, He committed no sin. Talking about Christ, of course. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus never did anything never did anything to deserve the treatment that he received. He was perfect. <clears throat> he never sought revenge. He could have. could have wiped everybody out with a blink of an eye. He could have gotten revenge, but he didn't. Because he was entrusting himself to the God who judges justly. He was entrusting himself to the Father. He trusted the words of the Father who said, Vengeance is mine. All things will be settled by the judge who judges justly. And that needs to be our attitude as Christians. That you are going through your life every day and you are entrusting yourself to the just judge. Trusting that he is just, he is perfectly just. And he will uphold his justice. And it's not your right. And you shouldn't be concerned with handing out your form of justice. And when you have this attitude, when you are entrusting yourself to God, it frees you. It frees you from the, the pressure of this desire to bring justice to other people, to get your revenge. When you just say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to continue to entrust myself to you. Your word says that vengeance belongs to you, so I'm trusting that. A weight will fall off of your shoulders. The grudges that you've been holding on to, the hatred that you're feeling for people, will go away. The blindfold will be taken off of you. And you'll realize just, just how much damage was being done because of your desire to get your own revenge. God enacts his justice by punishing every wrong. Every wrong that has ever been done will be punished. And there's two ways that this happens. First of all, either in hell for those who don't repent and trust in Jesus Christ, or on the cross for those who do repent and who do trust in Jesus. So let's think about Jesus again. Jesus believed this. He knew this was true. He lived as though this were true. He hung on the cross knowing that vengeance belongs to the Father. Knowing that his vengeance would be perfectly just. So Jesus 
hung on the cross, and he looked out at the soldiers who hung him there, who nailed him there. He looked out at the Pharisees who hated him, who accused him of blasphemy, who were spitting on him and slapping him and cursing him. And he looked at those people, and and he knew, and he trusted that the outcome of their lives would be perfectly just. Because he was trusting in the Father. He knew that either they would die, and the wrath of God would be poured out onto them because of their sin, because they never trusted in Christ. And that is perfectly just. Or, He knew that those people that hung him there, that hated him, he he knew that they might repent of their sin and trust in the sacrifice that he was making before their eyes. That their sin was being punished. That he was taking that punishment for them, right in front of them. So he was saying, The outcome, either way, is just. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to trust you, Father. Jesus perfectly lived that example for us to follow. And and everything else he did perfectly. Why don't you just think about that? He He was hanging on the cross. He was dying. He was being accused and beaten and mocked. And he said, it's not my concern to take my revenge. Because I'm entrusting myself to the Father who is perfectly just. So don't avenge yourselves. Don't be so concerned for vengeance that you forget about these things. Trust that God will keep his promise. Trust that he defends you. Trust that you have no need and understand that you don't have the right to seek after revenge. Trust that God is in control He will always be in control. So here's number one. Let God handle revenge. Let God handle it. It's not up to you. It's up to God. Paul continues and he says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. (coughs) And that's a quote from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. So, not only praying blessings over your enemies, not only trusting God to get his revenge, but You need to be seeking to meet the needs of those who make your life difficult. Those people that you would consider to be your enemies. God's word says, seek to meet their needs. Take care of them. Again, only a life transformed by the gospel is going to respond this way. So what might this look like today? Most likely, your enemies today are not in need of food and water. If they're people that you go to, you, you work with or you're in classes with, they're most likely, in this part of the world where we're at, not needing food and water. Maybe they are. That's the case. Feed them and give them water. Take care of them in that way. 
But whatever practical need may come up that they need, meet that need. It doesn't matter how much you dislike that person. God's word says to take care of them. Don't seek revenge. Don't seek to harm them, but seek to take care of them. Really, it's, it's, it's getting at the need for you to show love and kindness to them. In every way, all the time, every time you speak to them, you need to show them love and kindness. Going out of your way to show them this kindness. Going out of your way to show them your love. It could be as simple as just asking them how they're doing. I mean, I don't know. If somebody is just treating you poorly, and one day you were like, hey, how, how are you doing? How's life going? How can I pray for you? They'd probably be like, what? <laughs> Ask them how they're doing. Ask how you can pray for them. When they speak to you, no matter what they're saying to you, no matter how rude or ugly it is, respond to them in kindness. If they do or say something to you in order to get a negative response, don't take the bait. Don't fall for it. Just choose kind words. Be kind to them. This illustration that Paul uses, this heaping burning coals on their head, it refers to an ancient Egyptian ritual. And in this ritual, a person who was wanting to show that they were sorry for something that they had done, they would carry a pan of burning coals on their head. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what they would do. The coals represented the pain and the shame of the guilt that they felt because of the wrong thing that they had done. So it was like this public display of like, I'm ashamed of what I've done. I, I, I'm sorry for doing that. I shouldn't have done that. So when Christians are kind to enemies, it, it could cause that person and should cause and most likely will cause that person to feel shame for what they've done. Again, just think about it practically. Somebody is just like making your life miserable. Like just saying the most ugly things to you, just tearing you down all the time. And all you do is just treat them with love and kindness and respect. Eventually, they're going to be like, what am I doing? This person doesn't deserve any of this. And they're going to feel shame for what they've done. My mom told me the story. I think it's really funny. There's this kid in her youth group growing up who, <laughs> this isn't the funny part. Let me just preface that. <laughs> okay, that could There's this kid in, in her youth group, and he got made fun of a lot. That's not the funny thing, okay? Um, he got picked on a lot. The cool guys, you know, would always mess with him. And they were at their summer camp, and um, this one guy was like, hey, dude, do you, do you want some ice cream? I'll give you some ice cream. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll take some ice cream. So the guy takes a ice cream cone, and he goes, and, um, he goes to the mashed potatoes, and he puts mashed potatoes in the ice cream cone. Apparently, it looked like vanilla ice cream. I don't know. I don't know. But that's what happened. And so they handed it to the guy. And he was like, oh, man, thanks. That's so cool of you. And he, like, took a big lick of it. And it was mashed potatoes, right? And they were like, oh, got you. Oh, yeah. And the guy was just like, oh, man, yeah, you guys got me. That's a good one. Uh, and they just moved on. Yeah. <laughs> and all the guys at the table who, like, wanted that to, like, get him angry or whatever. They didn't know what to do with themselves because the kid was like, oh man, that was, so, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were just like, they wanted some reaction from the kid and they didn't get it because he was just like 
showing them kindness. And eventually it got to the point where these cool guys stopped treating this other guy like that because of how kind he was being to them. They, they got to the point where they were like, what are we, we're, we're stupid. What are we doing? He's, he's so nice. <laughs> Why would we do this? They felt ashamed for what they had done. This was like heaping burning coals on these kids' heads. If you treat your enemies with kindness, that might, it probably will, make them ashamed and sorry for their actions. But more importantly, what's in view here is that it might lead them to repentance. And this makes sense because it reflects the way that God treats his people. And he treats his creation this way. Romans 12, 4. <clears throat> no, not 12. I wrote 2. Romans 2, 4, sorry. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The kindness that God shows toward everyone the purpose behind that is to lead them to repentance. God is so kind. He is so patient. He's so generous. He's so merciful and gracious to us all. And especially to those who don't believe in him. It's known as God's common grace. And when a lost person, maybe this is your story, when a lost person realizes how kind God has been to them, even though they're a wretched sinner and they deserve nothing more than to be sent to hell because of their sin, when they realize how, how kind it is for God to even continue to give them breath and to provide for them, to give them a family and friends, they realize how kind it is that God has provided a way to salvation through Jesus. It leads them to repent and believe and put their trust in Christ. That's what God's kindness is meant to do. So just as God is kind, you should be kind. Even to those who are your enemies. Because that, that is what God does. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. The will of God is for you to do good towards all people. Even if they persecute you, even if they make your life miserable, the will of God, what he desires for you to do is to be good to them, to treat them with love and respect and kindness. Number two, show compassion to your enemies. Show compassion to your enemies. Treat them with love, treat them with kindness, treat them with respect. <clears throat> last, last verse here of this chapter, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be overcome by evil? It's to allow the enemy to get you down. It's to allow the enemy, <coughs> to allow Satan, 
to get you to a point to where you are planning and plotting your revenge. To where you, you know the right thing is to trust God with it. But that evil is overcoming you. And, and now the wheels are turning and you're starting to think about, okay, what are you going to do to get the person back? What are you going to do? It's to get to a point where you lose control of yourself. And where you start lashing out against people. <coughs> Sorry. So that's being overcome by evil. So overcoming evil with good, that's what we're after. Overcoming evil with good. It's continuing to live a life of faith in God and love for others, including those who harm you, no matter how bad your situation is. No matter, no matter how bad off you think you are, no matter how unjust you feel that your situation is, it's continuing to live a life of faith in God and love for others. To overcome evil with good is to go out of your way to show love and kindness and respect and compassion to those that are treating you with evil. No matter how evil, no matter, no matter how wicked, no matter how bad your situation gets, you can't let that overcome you. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he's quoting Psalm 37, and I'm just going to read a little bit of Psalm 37. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. But the meek shall inherit the land. Nowadays, meekness is mistaken for weakness. Just imagine if, if you were just hanging out with your friends and they were like, man, you're like, you're like the meekest person I know. Would you be like, whoa, like take that back? Like, how would you respond? We have to understand that meekness is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. Now, the world will not see it that way. The world will not see meekness as strength because they'll say, you're strong if you just go out there and you just, you just get your revenge and, and, and you just jack people up and, and you just go get it. That's what, that's what strength is to the world. But God says, no, no, no. Strength is being meek. A meek person has control over self. A meek person will trust in God at all times. And will understand that God will vindicate. So there's nothing that you have to do or that you should do other than just trust in God and wait for him to act. A meek person will wait for God to act, will never take matters into their own hands. <clears throat> A meek person doesn't seek revenge. And you can see how that actually does take strength what we're talking about is not easy. It takes strength to respond this way. To look at someone in the eyes who just cursed you out, who just reviled you, and to just say, 
hey, I'm, I love you. I'll, I'll pray for you. That takes strength. The world's going to go, wow, whoa, that's we. Yeah, you're too scared. To do, they're going to say stupid stuff like that. But it takes strength to be meek in the face of something like that. A meek person will just let the insults, let the adversity, and let the criticism roll off of them. The entrusting themselves to God. Something comes at you and you're just saying, God, I'm just trusting you. Rolling off and just putting it to God. A meek person will have this attitude and they will keep on doing good. They will not let evil overcome the good. Jesus, he lived this out perfectly. He was the model to follow after this. He overcame evil with good. Just look at the life of Christ and study the life of Christ and model your life after his. It can seem impossible. Maybe you're in a situation right now. Maybe you have some adversity, some conflict with someone, and you're listening to what I'm saying, and you're just thinking, that's not even possible. You don't understand what this person did to me. You don't, you don't understand. I have to do something about it. I have to, I've got to get my revenge. I've got to do this. No, you don't. Because it's not your right. It's not your job. And if you're concerned about showing strength, this is the way to show strength. This is what God is concerned about. You being meek, continuing to do good even though evil is all around you. So pray. Pray for meekness. Everything that we've talked about in this chapter we just need to be praying this scripture. Like we talked about last week, it can, it can feel overwhelming, I know. We should need to be praying about it. You have to entrust yourself to God every moment of the day. <coughs> Number three, keep doing good. Keep doing good. Be resolved to keep on doing good. No matter how bad your situation is, no matter how unjust something is about your life, your situation, no matter what it is, God says, overcome evil with good. So like I was saying, let's, let's take everything that this chapter has taught us and let's, let's be praying through it. And remember, don't lose focus. The focus is Christ. Focus is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue a relationship with Christ. I'm going to be reading the Bible so much. One of my favorite preachers, his name is Paul Washer, and he said this really awesome quote. He said, Christians, when you get cut, you should bleed the Bible. Like, that's how well you should know the Bible. That every situation you're in, every word that comes out of your mouth, should be rooted in Scripture. Every response that you have should be in line with what God says to do and to say because you know His Word so well. So let, let, let God handle revenge. It's not up to you. It's not your job. It's not your right. Show compassion 
to your enemies and keep on doing good. Let's pray. God, we've talked about so many things from this chapter. God, please help us to live it out. God, most importantly, help us to be seeking after you. First and foremost, let us be concerned about our relationship with you. God, let us be reading the Bible and spending time in prayer and just be pursuing you and knowing you more and loving you more. Let that be our heart's desire, is to just know you more. God, as we're as we're chasing after you and pursuing holiness, please let us start to see our lives becoming more and more like you. God, sanctify us. Help us to live out this transformed life. Help us not to get caught up in just going through the motions of doing things and and doing and acting. But let us trust that as we're pursuing you, that this is what our life will look like. Because a life in step with you is a life that's growing in holiness. So God, help us to live this out. Help us to live as Christians in the world as, as you say we should live. Help us to have the strength and the confidence and the boldness to move forward and to go into the world and and to live as you want us to. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.